0: What's up, gems? Hey, gents. It is Natima Sheree, Queen Pen of TGI and the Diamond Riders here with another episode of Hustle and Shine during this diamond heist. Um, Really excited about tonight's episode. Um, It is going to be a little bit more serious. We're going to have a really transparent and in-depth conversation about um, women, Black women in particular, and some of the biases we experience in healthcare. Um, This is near and dear to me because many of you know I've had this journey uh, to heal from when losing my sister, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But before we dive into today's episode called The Waiting Room, I want to first, with everything y'all know, I start with intention and gratitude. And so my intention tonight is to um, educate and share as much around statistics and real data um, on the matter as I possibly can. Y'all know I'm I'm famous for always researching. I don't believe it's ever healthy to just talk about a subject that you did not prepare to talk about because then it's just a bunch of opinion. And I'd much rather give facts and real data um, to help someone if I can. And then of course, I'm grateful grateful for my guests tonight, very grateful for the women and the gems who joined our interest call last night. The Diamond Riders is indeed growing. And so very grateful for all of those uh, gems who joined the call. And then of course, um, you know, just grateful again for the opportunity to share uh, tonight with you on what we're calling this episode, The Waiting Room. And so uh, real quick, we are still shining in pink all month long to my diamonds, who are shining in pink, we are standing with our breast cancer survivors. We believe there is power in pink. And so again, for the remainder of the month, for all of my diamonds and my gems, if you post anything about breast cancer awareness, please use the hashtag shining in pink so that we have that support and knowledge because that is what we wanna do. So again, um, I wanna spend just a couple of minutes sharing about my experience before I bring out my guest. Um, in 2015, um, I lost my younger sister, Katrina. Um, she was 32 years old and she went to first urgent care. First, she went to urgent care complaining of severe chest pains, shortness of breath. Um, you know, and she just was very lightheaded, just wasn't feeling well because my sister was a heavier. Um, you know, thicker Latina woman, you know, afro Latina woman, they, I guess they just assumed it was poor diet um, and some of the things that come with that. She was also um, asthmatic. She had asthma. And so I think they assumed, again, instead of actually taking action and following up and maybe, you know, doing some type of test or anything uh, to rule out what some other possible causes of shortness of breath and, you know, lightheadedness and all the things she was feeling they just assumed it was her asthma, gave her a new pump, and sent her home. She still was not feeling good by Sunday. This was on Saturday. So, Sunday, she goes to the emergency room. I am unfortunately not permitted to share the hospital because we did sign an NDA. Well, not I, but my family members, whatever. Um, however, she went to the ER, same complaints, having trouble breathing, you know, lots of pain in my chest, feeling lightheaded. You're fine. You know, nothing wrong with you. Again, no one ran any tests, no EKG, no chest x-rays, nothing. They listened to what she said. I guess assumed she was being dramatic and sent her home with an asthma pump. On her way to work on Monday morning, uh, she collapsed and died from a pulmonary embolism and she was 32 years old. And so I have a personal issue with Black women complaints being unheard or ignored in the healthcare and in the uh, medical field, and so I wanted to do a show about this specifically now during breast cancer awareness because many of us are considered paranoid when we say, "Hey, I think I found something. I think I I sense a lump or something." We're told, "Oh no, you need a mammogram for that. You can't do it." Well, then why are we doing the test at home by ourselves? If when I come in and say this is what I feel, I'm told I'm probably not really feeling that. And so, anyway, I want to have a real discussion on this. Um, Not only did it hurt to lose my sister, and I feel like her life could have been saved had her complaints um, been addressed, but there are so many other women who have died, whether it was maternal mortality or just other complaints. I know of a young lady who had a heart attack at 31 years old because no one believed her when she said she was having trouble with her chest and having, you know, chest pains. And so I really want to talk about that tonight. I know y'all are used to more fun and happy discussions, but this is a necessary one. So I have two really great guests here that are going to come on and share. Um, They're both well acquainted with this, you know, subject matter um, and they have a lot to offer. So please get your pen, get your paper, open your mind, open your heart, close your mouth and listen tonight to this information that will hopefully save a life. So first I'm going to bring out um, Miss Shawnee Benton Gibson, um, phenomenal woman. I have her bio and I would read it, but I want you to hear from her. I want you to experience her vibe and energy the same way I have. So I'm going to bring her out now.
1: Good evening, Queen. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here, even though the subject matter is heavy um, and low vibrational, um, it's great that we're talking about all of this. So thank you for being a conduit for conversation. Um, I so appreciate appreciate you and pr- appreciate this platform.
0: Thank you. I'm I'm so honored to have you here. You have an amazing story, a powerful one. Um, and real quick, shout out to one of my diamond leaders, Tiffany Mathias, aka the Phoenix, for making this connection and this introduction. Uh, This was such a necessary thing. And so first, before I say anything else, please introduce yourself to our gems. Tell us about your hustle.
1: So I heard you say gems and gents. So I want to acknowledge the terminology and the culture here in this space. So greetings to all the gems and gents that are listening um, under the sound of my voice. My name is Shawnee Renee Trellis Benton-Gibson and i am 54 and ready to live more and more and more and how i do that is by having conversations about um these important subjects and um also being fully expressed and unapologetic about who i am as a black woman and a black leader in community so i am the co-founder of the aria foundation and aria stands for the advancement of reproductive innovation through artistry and healing and I'm also um, the CEO of SO Leadership Development Institute. And SO is shorthand for Spirit of a Woman. So that can tell you what my commitment is. Um, Spirit of a Woman turned 20 years old this year. Um, I'm also by trade and training a psychotherapist, a licensed um, social worker. And I've been in the field of social services for over 31 years. Um, I'm a mother of three, two living, and one deceased who you'll hear more about. Um, later on in the conversation. And I'm unapologetically an anti-racist leader. I'm unapologetically um, here to decolonize and to dismantle white supremacy culture and to do it one conversation at a time, um, one declaration at a time, (laughs) one moment at a time. So thank y'all all all for being co-creators of that um, with me in this space. So once again, happy to be here.
0: Wow. That that introduction alone was so empowering and exactly why I think, like you said, in this moment, this conversation is so necessary uh, because it does have a lot to do with racial disparities, not just you know health bias and, and disparities. So I really want to talk about the lack of health equity, if you will. And so we're going to get into that in just a moment. Again, thank you so much, for being with us tonight. Um, there's so much I want you to share. And so I'm gonna give you more opportunity to talk about Aftershock and some of those other things that you alluded to a moment ago. But first I wanna bring out our, our other guest, Miss um, Brianna Robinson. Brianna, are you there? Hi. Hey guys. Hi, yes, I'm here. You. you can hear me? Thank you so much. Yes, we can hear you. Thank you so much for being yeah. on. Um, please. <laughs> Share with the gems and gents, what is your hustle? Okay, so I am currently an anesthesiologist assistant.
2: I work at Mount Sinai West and I also work out of North Shore LIJ. Uh, I am also a medical student at Harvard University. Um, I've This is my second year and I am studying to become an anesthesiologist who also studies cardiology. Very nice. um, I've I've been in anesthesia for seven years now. And during my time of working with the anesthesia department, I have learned a lot. I have seen a lot. I have seen more death than you could even imagine. Um, I went into anesthesia when my niece passed away in 2015 from asthma. And I was at a loss. She was everything to me. And I needed something more. And there was nothing left for me. So I was already in the medical field, but I needed something, something that mattered. And I knew I wanted to save lives. And that was the only field that I felt um, was needed for me. And Mm -hmm. it was beneficial for me, and it was healing for me. Mm -hmm. And after going through a lot of therapy, because you definitely have to um, in the medical field, it's it's a requirement. Um, It brought me closer to God, but it also brought me closer to my patients. Losing a patient is never easy. Um, We are, as a team, the energy department is the first ones to go in and we're the last ones to leave. Uh, The patient is everything to us. Uh, We basically control the OR. We uh, let each department know when to start, when to stop,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: um, when to move around the room, when to make changes um, because our goal is to focus on the patient. Mm -hmm. We focus on their vital signs, their heart rate, and their brain. Um, Without us, no surgery would happen.
1: Mm-hmm. When
2: surgeries go well, ninety-five percent of the time, it's great. The other percentage, it's not, and we are the ones that have to go. Unfortunately, it speaks to the family about it. It's never wow. easy, and it's never—it's never fair. Mm-hmm. It's never fair, and mm-hmm. I can't—I can't speak for other hospitals, but I can't speak for my hospital. Um, mm-hmm. When we lose a patient, it's very difficult for us.
0: Yeah. Yes. Wow. And it's, I can't eight, and it's, a, it's a flip man. of a
2: coin. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's the flip of a coin to decide who's going to go speak to the family because everyone wants to do it. But then again, everyone doesn't want to do it. Wow. Um, yeah. and, it's, and then, you know, at the end of the day, we get to go to work the next day, you know, you don't. And so, because a lot of us have lost, we know mm-hmm. what that feels like. Mm-hmm. So, what it was to be there. You know for the family and let them know you know our condolences and what went wrong and how it went wrong and whatever physicians were a part of that surgery they also come out and speak with the family and if they don't you have the right to request to speak to those physicians who are a part of that surgery because your right is to know what happened
0: during that whole process so if you and don't he, get that opportunity yeah, i'm you sorry not you to I want to talk more about that in a moment. Like before you go into that, I definitely want to save that because I want mm-hmm. to educate our listeners, our gyms and our gents, what their rights are, you know, um, when, they, right. when they're in county healthcare uh, professionals. So thank you for that. But hold on to that because I don't want to go there yet. Um, I want to definitely you know, okay. get through the conversation in phases. And so, first off, thank you again for being with us tonight. I know you're going to have a lot no, to okay. contribute to the conversation Thank from you. an experience standpoint, you know, seeing it from the healthcare side as well as the patient side. Um, so I think it's going to be a great dialogue. Okay. What I'd love to do, ladies, really quick, as I like to set expectations. I want to make sure that our gyms and our gents and us as panelists understand we are not focusing on what we need to do differently, right? We always hear, well, okay. we wait too long to go to the hospital or You know, you don't eat healthy. We're not, that's not tonight's conversation. And so I want to make sure I remove those biases from our listeners. We are speaking of the perspective where healthcare will fail um, to provide adequate care for us when we do show up. And so let's, you know what I'm saying? Let's take the the blame. Let's not blame the victims. I want to really be open-minded and have a real discussion about some of those disparities that exist, even if you've never experienced it. They are real. This is not make believe. And so, I want to first um, introduce. Absolutely. I have a couple of topics here, and of course, you know, do not feel like you have to be constrained in that topic. If you want to branch out, we can talk about anything that falls within this space. But I do want to talk about um, Black women health disparities. You know, health equity, maternal mortality race and ethnicity and how the social detriments affect health. So I'm gonna come to you first Shawnee um, and would love for you to share with us a little bit more. You, you spoke about it briefly earlier about your daughter and uh, the Aftershock documentary.
1: Sure. So um, just, I love that you opened up the floor to talk about the social determinants of health. Um, it's just so important to talk about them. And I also love that you shared about the um, release of blame because social determinants of health when it's flipped can be used to blame and shame BIPOC folks and BIPOC is just shorthand for black indigenous people of color. So we're talking about things with social determinants like um, economic stability, right? Um, You can be employed, but you can be underemployed as a BIPOC person in community. You can get income, but it might not be enough income to sustain you and your family and you might be working two or three jobs. Um, mm-hmm. You can have expenses that exceed. And I'm not talking about living high off the hog. I'm talking about just basic stuff. Like we need the internet. We need a cell phone, right? Um, okay. We need to be able to manage and um, have utilities. But things in this city, and I, when I say this city, I mean New York, because I'm a New Yorker, can be so um, expensive right. and It's hard to navigate and take care of um, your responsibilities and be accountable as a parent, as a person, You know, whether you have children or not. Um, We're talking about housing and transportation. Some of us Mm -hmm. live in deserts or two fair zones or zone areas where there's no public transportation and you have to walk somewhere or, you know, take a cab somewhere and you may not have it. We're talking about Mm -hmm. education, right? Um, literacy level. And you may be the most brilliant person in the world, but in this system, if you don't have a certain level of education, you're not going to mm-hmm. be able to get that job. If you get the job, you're not going to get the salary that you deserve, even if you know right. more than the people who actually are degreed. right? right. Mm-hmm. We're um, talking about food issues, food deserts, um, lack of hospitals in your area, or if there's a hospital It's a dead zone, and you never want to go there or have your family go there if something happens to you. And we're talking Mm -hmm. about a healthcare system um, that doesn't necessarily respect you. And we're talking about absolutely racism and um, what that can manifest and create. I'll quickly Mm -hmm. say that my daughter, when you think about um, folks judging, didn't fit the judgment bill. Mm -hmm. Um, Business owner, two businesses, very healthy. Mm -hmm. She's a dancer. Um, very educated, did a lot of research, very present in community, very vocal, advocated for herself. And I say in the mm-hmm. documentary, in the documentary is called Aftershock, that knowledge enough, knowledge is not enough to save you from this crisis, that you can have all the knowledge in the world and the system will fail you or all the intersecting systems will fail you and you'll end up having a near-death experience or actually dying like my daughter did. So I'll pause here in um, reference mm-hmm. social determinants of health and just let you know that when you identify and look like us in this space that um it can be a death sentence depending on where you land as far as hospitals and social service um, agencies you may not get what you need even when you come with all the bells and whistles and the check off for what makes a good citizen in society and i'm right
0: right oh my gosh that there was so much there to unpack shawnee Um, i mean one of the things that i think stand out to me the most when i do my research in this space. and and I will admit losing my sister um, in two, 2015 really prompted, you know, that unselfish part of me that said, no, I need to dig deeper here. I need to understand why this is an issue, why there's such an implicit bias in medicine toward black women in particular. Um, and it's not to say that our you know, black men aren't aren't facing, like you said, this this affects all BIPOC, but for black women in particular, our numbers in terms of the disparities are so much greater um, than our white counterparts, mm-hmm. especially as it relates to um, maternal mortality and some of the other things that I highlighted in, in, this, um, in this ticker. And so I love that you talk about, you know, sometimes you don't even look like you should have all of these judgments or these, you know, stereotypes placed on you. If I go into the ER, you know, I do have the degrees, I do have the education, I am well-spoken, I do carry myself well, I'm healthy. I've still experienced that where, are you sure that's really how you feel? Well, on a scale of one to yes. 10, how how much pain are you in? I'm in pain, period. Right. right? And so some of those things, again, we're so used to to that treatment, we don't even realize what's happening. And many of us, the reason I wanted to call this the waiting room is because many of us will sit there for hours, not realizing our weight has nothing to do with how busy the ER is or how short staff is. It's really, you don't come across as someone in pain. And so I wanna come to you, Brianna, because you're in the OR, you're working in the ER space, the OR space. How right. often is it that you find um, black women in particular are asked to wait a little longer because their pain doesn't appear as severe as they might be saying I mean
2: I, honestly it happens every day and so in my in my case um, I've been hospitalized a few times but what, what one doctor told me and it was a Caucasian doctor she told me she said to me this was like probably like 10 years ago she said um you're always going to have difficulty seeing the doctors before any any other race. And at first, I was um, I was offended, but then I listened to her. She said because they don't take your pain serious. You guys are always so strong. You don't come to the hospitals. You don't follow up with your physicians. By the time you come to the hospitals, it's out of control. Your diabetes or your high blood your high blood pressure is out of control. There's really not much they want to do with you because your organs are no good if you die. So. What she said was, what you need to do when you go to the ER, you come to the hospital, you need to tell them that you have a blood pressure issue, even if you don't. Because what happens is that blood pressure is the most important, and you will bypass any other patient. That's a patient that is dying, that's a patient that is shot, that's a woman that's in labor. Blood pressure is the most important part of being in ER because they want to preserve your vitals, and they want to preserve your body parts. And if there's nothing to preserve, the hospital doesn't need you. So what they say is, if you go, if you ever go to the OR wow. and you say my blood pressure is out of control, they will take you before they take any other patient. Literally, it will take you, and it, it's unfortunate. I I never understood it. Wow. But with my own experience, it has happened. I've gone to the hospital a few times. You know, when my blood pressure was not managed, and I would say my blood pressure is out of control. I mean, it was at the time, but they definitely took me amongst others who were sitting there who were in. A more severe situation than me, and when I bypassed someone who was literally bleeding, that's when I knew how severe it was. Wow! So, it's un- it's unfortunate. It's it's life saving, but it's also unfair. Unfair, and it's just something that's just not gonna go away. Yeah. And at the same time, we literally have to continue to educate ourselves, and not to say that they know more than us but they are the gatekeepers of the system Mm. and they do know things that we don't know. And that's another reason why I went into the medical field because I needed to get to those gatekeepers. I needed that information so that I can be here to share with with my own people.
0: Wow. Thank you for that again. And I, I agree. I think equipping ourselves with information is the best way to combat you know, what we're going through, what we're experiencing. I want to come back to you, Shawnee. I saw you shaking your head a bit. And I'd love for you um, to not only, you know, comment if you have something to add to what Brianna was saying, but I also want to transition into uh, the next topic about, you know, health experiences of Black women. And I would love for you to um, also take some time now to to share your story about your daughter. Again, please do watch After on Hulu and Netflix. But I do hope, Shawnee, you can share a little bit about that story and what you were, um, what the documentary recorded.
1: Sure. Um, I wanted to comment on, well, first and foremost, thank you, Brianna, for bringing a piece of information that I had not considered before. And it had me thinking about my daughter, um, you know, when she was in her last hours of life. um, That once again, to me, all bridges connect back to the enslavement of our people chattel slavery, um, antebellum time. Um, It's another way to commodify um, black bodies, Um, you know, bodies in general, because I'm sure that they want to harvest organs from everyone who has them them to to sell. Um, But we don't have value as people. But if our organs are, are, are operating adequately, then we have value in reference to the parts of us. And that's how it's always been you know, black women in their wombs, it's not about the full person, it's about the womb space and how much can it generate so that the plantation can be, um, you know, expanded and monies can be brought in so that um, white slave owners or enslaved owners of enslaved people could keep um, building generational wealth for their people, not for us. Um, Mm -hmm. But generations of us are still suffering. You know, I'm a, a metaphysician And I look at things like epigenetics. So if Mm -hmm. my grandmother's grandmother's grandmother was enslaved and then released and there was nothing given to her to address the trauma, the loss, the abuse of the body, then that trauma, first of all, reconstructs the brain. Trauma shifts you. It changes you on a cellular level. And then you pass that down to your. Offspring, and then your offspring, having not dealt with it, not even knowing to deal with it and what's going mm-hmm. on, passes it down. That's and exactly. then you have what you have in reference yeah. to the outcomes for us. So it's not just what's happening with us physically, it's emotionally and spiritually how we've been traumatized. And it's just generational, um, unless we stop the cycle, which we're doing now by having these conversations and doing a new thing. Um, mm-hmm. I just wanted to put that out there. My daughter's story. So my daughter's name and I will always speak it. Um, When we stop speaking it, she fades. Right. Or any Mm -hmm. of our ancestors. Her name is Shimani Makiba Gibson. My Mm -hmm. eldest child. She died at age 30 due to a birth related pulmonary embolism. So 13 days after she gave birth to her second child, my grandson, Mm -hmm. Kari, she was having um, uh, difficult. She had a C-section. So she was having difficulty breathing. And you know, couldn't, she was very active. Like I said, she was a dancer, very physical. And she was like, you know what, I'm going up and down the stairs and I had to sit on the step. I couldn't get back up after I came down to get the mail. And she was telling folks she was at the hospital when she went back for a checkup to get the staples removed after the C-section mm-hmm. and just the follow-up that she was having difficulty. And they kept minimizing it saying it was because she had a C-section, she just had a baby. She had to get off her feet right. um, and In the film, you hear me talk about it a bit, but I was in the the work of reproductive justice and healing for um, almost 15 years. And so when my daughter died, I was like, wait a minute. And then I remember, she's a black woman. Like Serena Williams almost died. Like, why would I think that my daughter, Shemani McKeeva Gibson would be exempt? And Serena Mm -hmm. knows somebody better than any person on the planet but they weren't Mm -hmm. listening to her and she had to Mm -hmm. advocate for herself and push. And then she got what she needed. We might not have that icon if it wasn't for her authority and assertiveness around and aggressiveness around her. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, I say all of that to say that the scourge of enslavement, the scourge of racism, which was birthed from enslavement, anti-Black racism specifically, because you can be a person of color, but depending on how close you are in proximity to whiteness, will determine how you get treated in a hospital setting or any setting at all. We really must work and make sure Mm -hmm. that we understand this. So any way I teach, speak, I'm unapologetically talking about white supremacy culture and racism. I'm not talking about implicit bias. I'm not talking Mm -hmm. about discrimination. I'm talking about white supremacy culture and racism because it's baked into every system. And the Mm -hmm. person are most impacted are people that look like us. And also, if you're female, it makes it even more dangerous. If you're yes, poor, absolutely. it makes it even more dangerous. If you are yes. flesh on your body, it makes it even more right. dangerous. The more intersecting identities that you have that don't align mm-hmm. with the dominant culture, the more in danger you are of having your life be snuffed out earlier than you anticipate. You want to grow old, but it's not guaranteed when you're walking right. around black. Right. That's, That's right. right. Wow. Absolutely.
0: No, you said that that <laughs> and I love how, like you said, unapologetic you are about speaking the truth and not using terms that make white folk feel more comfortable. comfortable, you know, and that's something that we definitely have to stop doing. And I'm I'm really big on that, especially on this platform, because it's mine so I can say what I want to. Um, and so I, I applaud you for having that right. attitude and that approach to discussions like this. Let's call it what it is. Um, And you said something earlier, um, Brianna, about preserving our organs and that being the priority. And I started to get emotional because it made me think back. my sister wasn't was a voluntary organ donor. Like she volunteered to be this. It was Mm -hmm. on her her, um, state ID. But I remember asking, did you do everything to save her? Because. A year later, I was able to meet all of these people's lives that she saved Mm -hmm. with her organs. And I wondered, how hard did you work to save her, um, not just preserve her organs? And so I really appreciate you sharing that. As, As Shawnee said, giving us that bit of information. I had no idea that that's how the system works in terms of prioritizing and making sure they identify what's imperative versus what's important. So thank you for that. Wow. Um, We have quite a few comments, ladies. I do want to take a moment to acknowledge our gems and gents who are on the episode with us and listening in. Um, I'm going to go back. Usually, Shawnee and Brianna, when our diamonds and gems are here, they drop a ton of diamonds to show us that they're here. So you'll see that throughout. Daisha, Colleen, Jessica, Colleen. Hello, Tiffany says, that's my mentor. (laughs) You better talk in caps, cuz oh, that's right. Uh, Colleen, again, we have Alicia here. Thank you so much, Jims, for being here. Tiffany says, exactly. I live five blocks from a hospital and refuse to go there because they don't care and are not equipped to care. Exactly. And it's unfortunate. Tiff also says, because we are merchandise product to them. That part. We have Javani Frazier, your guiding light is here. She says, hello, goddess. Can't stay long, but I did share. Thank you so much for that. This is an important episode. I'd actually love to connect you to Miss um, Shawnee and Javon. She does a lot of work in the womb space and some other things that I think would really benefit your cause um, and your movement as well. So I'll make that connection following. Colleen, uh, sorry, she says, Miss Benson Gibson said it best. You know your body best. So true. Absolutely. I'll take one more comment from Abdul. We have one of our gents here. Good evening. He says, powerful conversation. Absolutely. One that is certainly necessary. Um, and you know, one of the things you mentioned, I want to come back to you, um, Miss Shawnee again. You talked about recognizing that this is a, syst- a systemic problem. This is not your local hospital having poor funding or, you know, um, a reduction in workforce in terms of available nursing staff or, you know, um, care and physicians. This is Intentional. Right, and so I would love for you to kind of give us, you know, educate us a little bit. You, you mentioned this going stemming all the way back to slavery. This going all the way back to, you know, oppression that we know is back then. And I, I really, we got to work with our people. We got to stop saying it like it was all so long ago. Um, but if you could spend some more time right. really talking about how it's evolved and it's gone from, you know, you know that that chattel. Um, you know, like bondage, as you mentioned, to what it is now being more systemic and intentional in keeping us from good care, keeping us
1: from good physicians? Sure. Um, You know, just by design, and some folks will try to steer you towards it being um, more about socioeconomics. Um, Once again, that's one of the intersecting factors, but it's not the factor. Um, So the systems that are built um, are part of the fabric of this country. Just mm-hmm. think about it. They were not um, created for us. So just out the gate, we start at a major deficit. You know, when mm-hmm. this country was forged, it was it didn't have indigenous people in mind, other than to rape, pillage, um, dupe, colonize. Mm-hmm. Um, because the view about us is that we don't know best. You know mm-hmm. that um, there's mm-hmm. something. Um, uh, animalistic about us and the way that we think, you know, Mm -hmm. black women and how we're viewed and how we express Mm -hmm. ourselves, our passion is misinterpreted as anger and rage. And then Mm -hmm. when we are angry and rageful, we have every right to be because Mm -hmm. some of the stuff we can't even name, we know how we feel about what's happening. We can't pinpoint it. Mm -hmm. So when I think Mm -hmm. about the educational system, um, and how money is pulled out of certain communities until they decide that they are interested in the communities and then they gentrify and then we're priced out of the communities and then they transform into these um, luscious places to live. But when we lived there, it was like a dead zone, you exactly. know, and, you know, so that's the education system. Um, just thinking about um, food deserts. So certain communities have access to a Whole Foods. It, you know it. I don't have to tell y'all this. Certain areas, it's like you can go mm-hmm. and get the best of the yeah. best. Walking to the supermarket it's like mm-hmm. a powerful explosion Absolutely. of color and vibrancy. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I say, I'm not going to the local supermarket near my house. I live in South Ozone Park. Shout out to South Ozone Park. I'm just keeping it real. Even yeah. though that there's a yeah. <laughs> where they sell fruit and stuff. When I think about or real organic and the high level fruits and stuff we, and vegetables. We don't have that. Mm-hmm. So when I go into the supermarket, there's certain smells. Right. I'm like, what is that smell? You know, or the, the fruit and vegetables. Right. Like they yeah. had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> 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 What's going on here? Right. Right. right, Potholes, the infrastructure in certain <laughs> communities. They don't this fix it. They just think let things get dilapidated yes. until you just mm-hmm. can't function anymore in those spaces. So just think. You know, when you look like us and you sound like us and, you know, we're not a monolith, so we all don't look and sound the same. But when we come in this hue that -hmm. there's an an expectation that we don't need as much and that we Mm -hmm. want to live that way Mm -hmm. and we don't fight, you know, when we go, I was, I was educated. I don't know the two of you, Brianna, and um, it's Natima, right? Is that correct? Okay. I don't know about Mm -hmm. the two of you, but I, except for elementary school, was educated in predominantly white institutions. And so mm. even in those spaces, I was expected mm. to conform. And then even when I was the, yes. the most brilliant, there was still question about right. me and my Blackness. Did I write the mm-hmm. paper? Do I right. <laughs> Am I worthy right. of being there? Yes. So I'll say this last piece and right. pass on to Brianna. There are things that Black folks and BIPOC folks have to deal with and think about that white people have the privilege of never having to think about, mm-hmm. and I'll give one example. So, you watch right. the news, and some they like, oh, somebody shot up such and such and such. Black folks are more likely to be like, I hope they ain't black. White people ain't ever like, oh, I hope they ain't white. Yes. <laughs> it's not we funny. operate collectively, no. <laughs> right? And it's sad that we yeah. carry shame, right? You know, by white folk. Like that's not our mm-hmm. shame. That's their shame. And it's That's right. operate from it. They're it's shame. Exhausting to live like that.
0: Yeah. I so I, yeah. I'ma come to you, Brianna, but I just I have to comment on something Shawnee said. Like, I agree. I tell my daughter, I have two two beautiful daughters, and I tell them all the time slavery is not black history. That's white history. That's their history, history not right. ours.
1: Stop That's claiming it,
0: Stop right. saying. That it's Black history because it's not. Your history is royalty. Your history is prior to these shores. So stop saying that that is our history. Right. And it's a constant battle I have to have because, again, when you grow up in, you know, I grew up in a predominantly um, Black and Caribbean neighborhood. And so we're taught the same five civil rights leaders every year in February. And there's nothing outside of that because they haven't approved for us to learn anything outside of that. And so it's on us to right. educate our children and to tell our children the truth, not what we learned, right. but what we should have learned. And so my my parents, thank God for my father. Um, my dad is very much like you. I actually love your energy. You remind me of my father. I was like, oh my God, I have to again introduce the two of you. But he was really big on helping us to unlearn what we learned in school from an institution standpoint and then give us the truth. And unfortunately, by the time I got to college, I had so much truth in me that my professors challenged everything I wrote in a paper. They challenged the authenticity and you know what I'm saying? The ethics of the work that I did simply because it was not the narrative they are used to us believing and they're used to us regurgitating. And so when I came with a single thought, as a thought leader, it was like, this one's different. And the last thing I'll say is, again, when you were addressing the grocery stores and, and growing up, I grew up in a neighborhood where we had a bunch of four for four. OK, we had the Wendy's, yeah. you know, we had all of the fast food you can think of. Not one healthy, you know, supermarket, grocery store, marketplace. I didn't even know what a uh, farmer's market was until I was in my late 20s and I moved out of New York and I was like, what is this? This place looks amazing. Like there's real food here, fresh meats and fresh Mm -hmm. fruits. And so I make it an intention. It is my intention to take my children to those neighborhoods where there's a whole food, where there's, you know, a farmer's market, where there's, you know, fresh produce. My daughter ate a real apple. We went apple picking on Sunday and she was like, this doesn't taste right. And I said, that's because you're plucking it from nature. You're getting it from the source. You can't right. been on a truck for six days before making it to the grocery right. store. So I just had to acknowledge that because you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right about everything you said. Brianna, you've been agreeing and ready to jump in. So I'm going to go ahead and let you jump right in.
2: <laughs> Thank you. I wanted to speak on uh, the part, Shani, where you spoke about um, not conforming. Um, even as a child for me, my parents were very strict about education. I had encyclopedias since I was like eight years old and my mother always said, you never let somebody tell you anything. If you want to know something, you have to do your own research. And so I always did my research. I never conformed to anything. E- even to this day, And I work around a bunch of different physicians across the world, across the board, and I have learned to have thick skin and no one just tells me what to do. Mm-hmm. They can ask me, you know. And- I can take heed of what they're saying, but I'm nobody's, um, I guess you could say doormat. And and, and it's yeah. hard because I look younger than my age, I'm a female, I'm a black woman, and I'm very outspoken and I, I, um, I don't stand down. So mm-hmm. I jump in the pit with everyone else. If mm-hmm. everyone else is gaining knowledge, I'm getting the knowledge as well. I'm not walking out that room with any Caucasian or more than me. You're always gonna be in my competition. That's and right. so that, that's always been my mindset. Even though I, I have Caucasian friends, you know, outside of work, we're friends at work. You're my competition. You're going to try to take my job. You're going to try to get me fired. And that's just always been my mindset. Like, we're not friends at work. We're just not. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I accepted that. It's a hard truth, but it is the truth. Because at the end of the day, they will get rid of me before they get rid of that person. And so that's why I learned to never conform, to be strong, but never conform. hmm and it's hard in the medical field. It's, ext- it's hard in any field, but it's extremely hard in the medical field because you go into it, you go into it knowing that they don't trust you. I- I've had patients that denied me. I, I-, I need the physician. I need the, I- who your boss? You know, who's covering you? And a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know, you'll just get somebody else. But if there's no one else, you're either going to deal with me or you're going to be in pain. And some of them, mm-hmm. they will choose to sit in pain. Wow. And that's the choice. You'll be in pain for God knows how long but that's your choice. I mean, I've, I've had multiple cultures, not like even hours, mm-hmm. you know, and I would say, ah, she looks too young. And I'm like, okay. And I would tell them, especially our people, I'm like, I'm going to tell you right now, you cannot accept me, but you're going to be waiting a long time. Wow. So it, it's up to you. And once they see that an hour has rolled by, now you're in the ER, two hours have rolled by, it's like, I could have just taken her. So, you know, it's a learning experience for everyone. It's a hard one. But once you've been in pain for more than two hours, yeah, you, you tend to want to take whoever at that time.
1: Mm. And then you
2: become desperate.
1: Right? Yeah,
2: And that's no good either. So even for me, what I've always learned, even in me being a patient, because I was always a patient first, with being a patient, I learned I'm not going to sit in pain. So the moment they say, you know, how much pain you're in? 20. Like I'm 20. I'm, I'm crying and all whether they fake tears or not i am crying because i need to move from the triage into the next room. Mm because you know you're going to go into the next room, you're going to be in er you're going to speak to a number of doctors until you get the real physician so Mm -hmm. i learned you go through triage you're crying you're out of control be crying your pain is out of control they're going to move you along they move you into a room the nurse is going to come in i don't want you to take my blood i need the physician to come in and then once the physician comes in that's when you have real dialogue because everyone else there they're they they do not really matter because they're looking at you that you don't matter i mean it's mm. sad and I, and I learned that to teeth. Yeah. but and that's why I, that's this is what i tell my friends i tell my friends anybody that knows me if you need an advocate call me you will not be sitting in that or you will not be sitting in an emergency room or any or waiting mm-hmm. because i know the process already and it's a and it's the same process everywhere you go. Yeah. Whether it's in some hick town in Texas or if it's in New York right here. Mm-hmm. Literally. Like mm-hmm. it's gonna happen. So the first thing they say is like you have to learn how to advocate for yourself, mm-hmm. especially when you're alone.
0: Yeah.
2: A lot of time when yeah. you're alone, that's when they take that's when they take advantage of you. Like, are you really in pain? How long have you been in pain? The first question they ask you, do you take medication? Do you smoke? Do you drink? Are you pregnant? Mm-hmm. Um, do you take medication? Mm-hmm. Do you have high blood pressure? before they even take a test. Wow. You know, do you have high blood pressure? Um, what's your family history? Do mm-hmm. You look a little overweight. Did you eat today? Did you, do you drink water? Wow. You know, these are all of these questions that they're asking. Well, you're right. Well, you're literally in physical pain. So it's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop all of this. Mm-hmm. I'm not, we're not going yeah. go to go through this. We're going to go through chias. I'm going to be crying. Take my blood pressure right now. We're going to take it and we're going to move forward. Wow. Mm-hmm. All of those questions you can ask while I'm getting my vitals, you know, while I'm getting my fluids.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, of course, you know, no, nobody knows that you have, you, you learn that, it's unfortunate, but you learn that, you know, through mm-hmm. trial and tribulations. but that's the health, that's the healthcare system. It wasn't right. built for us. As Shawnee said, right. it was, it's never gonna be built for us. All they want is our organs. That's all they want. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, they could care less about us. And it's sad and it's unfair because e- even as physicians, um, medical students, you know, we're we're becoming the minority now. You know, it's a lot more of us than them. And they become they're becoming scared of that. They're mm-hmm. becoming very scared over every aspect of the hospital. And it's trying for them. So that's why now they really see when you go to different meetings and go to different events, it's a lot more is a lot more of us than them now. And mm-hmm. when I say us, of this meeting, meaning like from the islands, you know, from Africa, from all over. People are probably, there's a lot more of us than that. that. We're, yeah. now, we're now becoming as one. Mm. And they don't, they don't like that because we're not supposed to know this information. How does she know that? Mm. They'll even ask me, you know, even in medical school, what school did you go to? How many times did you apply to this school? Did you really get accepted? Who did you wow. know? Wow. How did you get into this school? How could you afford to go to this school? Like I've I've gotten all of those questions, and in the end, I'm not going to answer that. But the mere fact that as soon as you see me, your first question is, "How could you afford to go to this school?" Without even knowing a thing about me, but you look at my skin color and they're like, "Oh, how many kids do you have?"
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know all of those stereotypical questions that are asked that are uncomfortable that they think is going to be uncomfortable for me. But I've been prepared for this since I was a child. Mm-hmm. Right. So as Shawnee said, it like this was this was not built for us
0: mm-hmm. at all.
2: Um, it's a sad, harsh truth, mm-hmm. but I think if, especially women of color, if we become more educated um, in the medical field and knowing how they're going to treat us when we decide to have, you know, during, you know, we know what to expect when we go into a hospital. We know that they're not going to pay any attention to us. Mm-hmm. We know that they're not going to take our pain serious. We know that they're going to take that Caucasian because she's crying. Mm-hmm. You no, know, she's the victim. She's really in pain. Like we know that. And we have to learn how to get past that, or we have to learn how to advocate for ourselves and say, you know what? I need you to take me to another hospital.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: If my doctor is not here, you do not have to stay at that hospital. I think a lot of times, you know, as pregnant women, we all have children. Um, we will, you know, we have one doctor that is going to deliver our baby. And if that doctor is not there, normally there's another doctor. On those doctors are there, who's going to deliver our baby? So in that moment, we don't know that we have the right to go to another hospital or to ask for another physician again and keep asking until so we're comfortable. It's not about what makes them comfortable because we're paying for this. They're not. They all of us as, oh, you know, they get Medicaid. No, even if we do, at the end of the day, we're the patient. So as long as you know how to advocate for yourself, there's not much that they can do. They can be mad, they can be rude, but they mm-hmm. have to do their job. And if you don't like what they're doing, you are free to make as many complaints as you want. They also know that we're not going to call corporate. We're not going to write letters. We're not going to sue. So that's why they don't take us serious. But wow. so when those doctors get sued and they get sued, oh, they take you serious. And they'll pick up the phone and they'll call you to apologize. Because I've seen it happen on multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. They will call to apologize. Because they don't want that countersuit. They don't. They don't want the lawsuits, They don't want any of that stuff. They don't want any malpractice suits, even though they get them all the time. Right. So I just think as Black women and as Black people, we just have to learn how to, how to act for ourselves, number one, and do not conform to them. Do not let them tell you what to do. You know the level of pain that you're in. And you need to exaggerate it. And I'm not saying that. If your pain is five, it is a 10. Because if you just say, oh, it hurts a little bit, you're going to be there all day long.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And they don't care.
0: Yeah.
2: Because yeah. they're, on, they're on the clock, so they don't care.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like when you you made such a good point, you talk about the different things that you're asked, you know, during triage. And I've experienced it where it's more so not to uncover my pain, you know, my pain points, but to disqualify, you know, what my complaint is. Um, And and I agree because they'll ask questions that are so far outside of the scope of what my issue is in a way to disqualify what my issue is or to say oh it's this or that it's not necessarily what she's talking about so you raise great points and and that that's something i want to transition into with the time that we have left i'm gonna come back to you shawnee to see if there was anything you wanted to rebuttal first um and then we'll talk uh, about this the final thing that i want to i want to discuss so i'll come back to you first
1: no i I didn't want to um you know add i think that brianna covered um, her experience as someone on the inside in the medical, um, in that environment, um, and just knowing what, you know, on the patient side, and then mm-hmm. also as a provider. Um, I think that's really invaluable information to know. Um, mm-hmm. what I will say though, I was saying no, um, is that, um, I'm cautious about, um, the belief that because someone looks like us, that they're going to treat us well. Um, We've been indoctrinated to hate ourselves. We've been indoctrinated not, indoctrinated not to trust folks that look like us, not to think that we're competent. Um, mm-hmm. And um, you talked about being looking youthful, also just the skin um, sometimes gives signs off because we've been taught this, that this person is not smart enough, skilled mm-hmm. enough, experienced mm-hmm. enough to provide the care with no evidence to back that up whatsoever, other than right. the conscious and unconscious conscious and unconscious bias that we carry. Um, that self-hate can have a nurse or a doctor that looks like us treat us worse than someone who identifies as white would treat us. And so we all have to be That's detoxified true. and unlearn. Um, for white people, it's um, internal um, internalized racial superiority. And for mm-hmm. BIPOC people, it's internalized racial inferiority. Um, they both are dis-ease that needs to be addressed and dismantled. And it can also contribute to loss of life because self-hate it's projected out onto other people.
0: Wow, that is so good. That is, I mean, it, there's just so much to absorb in, in, in this conversation. And I really hope that if you join LATE, Or, um, you know, you did come in for the whole thing that you go back and replay this again, because Brianna and Shawnee both have um, invested so much in this conversation that is just invaluable and really needs to be, you know, chewed on a little bit longer. Because I think sometimes we hear things and we think, oh, I've heard this before but we're not really listening. We're not really absorbing and ingesting what's being told. And so we never apply any of this information. We think it's just another source of entertainment. It's just another conversation. It's just another complaint. And that's why I like to close every discussion with solution. Um, Obviously, we cannot fix systemic issues. I keep telling people, stop saying that the system is broken. It is not broken it was designed to function yes. this way nice. it was designed to oppress you it was designed to hold you back to hold you down to incarcerate you to you know what i'm saying to kill you so stop with the oh the system's broken we need to f-. it's not broken it's actually working exactly how they want it to work what we do need to do though is one be accountable and responsible for ourselves and so i want to talk about that if i can have both of you share maybe just one or two things that we can do um, to help preserve our own lives and help ourselves in the ways that we can, obviously, right? We're not medical physicians. Obviously, we do need care. But what are some best practices we can implement um, to hopefully avoid, you know, cases like this if we can? I'll come to you first. I'm sorry.
1: I'll come to you first, Shawnee. Oh, okay. So um, I didn't elaborate on this a lot in this space, but it's important um, if you identify as a New Yorker, if you live here, um, or United States, let me start with that, uh, that Black women are three times more likely to die doing the most natural thing they could ever do, which is bring new life into the world. That here in New York, we're eight times more likely to die. And um, they just did a new study um, recently, I think it was the CDC, that 80% of those deaths are preventable. 90% of the deaths of indigenous people are preventable and it's an error and um, a resistance to listening and aligning with people's humanity. So um, when we're most likely to die is during the fourth trimester. I know we hear about the third trimester, but the fourth trimester is postpartum. Mm -hmm. So cardiomyopathy, um, hemorrhage, um, preeclampsia, um, Shimani died due due to a pulmonary embolism infection also um mm-hmm. they don't talk about this as much but um postpartum depression, you know leading to um psych- mm-hmm. psychosis and then leading to possibility of suicide and self-harm mm-hmm. um and then also domestic violence when women in domestic violence relationships are most in danger when they're pregnant mm-hmm. and after they've had a baby um, their partners are often not able because they lack emotional intelligence and like uh, coping mechanisms to deal with not getting the attention that they're accustomed to and not having the control. The baby has the control. So I have to beat the mother and mistreat the mother. So all those things are things we need to pay attention to. So what I will offer up, you know how life is sustained is through pregnancy, giving birth. Um, You know that it's a rite of passage, you know, it's how you got here. So for the folks that are in your family um, that uh, have just had a baby, Please know this if you listen to nothing else I said, we're in danger of dying 12 months after we give birth. Not the mm. first week, not six weeks at six weeks checkup. That's not enough. Like we're like the rapper. Somebody said this a candy rapper. Once we have the baby, we get tossed to the side like a rapper, and the baby's the prize. But mom mm, or birthing person right. needs attention affection, support. You need to ask the difficult questions. How are you feeling mentally, emotionally, spiritually, mm-hmm. physically? If they're saying that they can't breathe right. properly, don't listen to them. It's like, force them. Get somebody who they'll listen to to take them to the hospital. I'd rather you go to the ER and be inconvenienced in that way than be inconvenienced by dying, All right? Yeah. Um yeah. So family, community, we have to restore our practices, African-centered practices. Make the bone broth. To restore her womb back to um the space that it needs to be gather around visit her or them because not everybody who has a baby identifies as a woman i just want to make sure y'all are clear about that some people have wombs but they don't call themselves women that that education mm-hmm. is necessary um mm-hmm. so just go speak right support push mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. be pushy it's like i know you said you don't need these meals but i made them anyway like make sure That you're speaking to them. And for those who are looking to to have a baby or pregnant now, shop around for a provider that aligns with what you need for yourself. They listen. They're not rushing when you come there Mm -hmm. because we will take bad treatment. We will take that. You said, Rihanna, we don't complain. We don't say that this person talked to me out of mm-hmm. pocket. We just take it and take it and take it. But that's okay. not by our own design. That's part of white supremacy culture too. We've been taught that we're not worth anything. So we just take shit from everybody. So right. just want to put it out there. And right. we might yell and scream and still just sit and wait for the medication or the support. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. The bark is worse than the bite. Absolutely. And I'm complete. I just wanted to say those things.
0: Thank you so much for contributing that. I'm going to come back to you one last time, Shawnee, to make sure you share your information, how our gyms and gents can connect with you, how they can support. So, uh, but Brianna, please, as a as a physician, an anesthesiologist, a medical student, I know you you know, you know have such a vast perspective on this. What are some best practices and tips you can leave with our gyms and gents tonight?
2: I mean, just sure. piggybacking off of what Shawnee said, the first thing you to do your reach and finding out what type of physician you'd want to work with in terms of delivering your baby like it's your experience it's not their experience you can do figure out where you want to have the baby you want to have the baby even if you even want to have a baby at home you know maybe you'd want to prefer a midwife all those things you want to about first you want to think about yourself then you want to think about your child how you want to have your child where you want to have your child and then after that, you want to be able to have a support system. I know we all don't have a family, we all don't have a lot of friends, mm-hmm. but if you have a, um, a co-worker, um, anyone that you consider, the most support that you have, you are truly mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and intellectually, especially people of color and by themselves because they have no one and it's not necessarily because they physically don't have anyone they don't like to communicate that way. so you have to learn how to get help yes within your community but just like i said like where you are, where you go to school who you interact with on a the media want to be able to have some form of support Mm -hmm. Um, so if you have a physician who's stating you need to be on this diet you can focus Mm -hmm. on that diet or you can go and do your research to figure out what you feel is best for you, your body and your child because at the end Mm -hmm. of the day this is all for you, you definitely Mm -hmm. want to maintain your blood pressure, you don't want to have preeclampsia, you don't want to get the diabetes even though most of us do get it so the first thing you need to do is to focus on your health you have to be physically healthy in order to be mentally healthy Mm-hmm. So you want to be able to, and you also have, you should take a lot of notes. Mm-hmm. I have a diary. Have a diary. Write things on every day, whatever you're feeling, write it down.
1: Dates, yeah. time
2: stamps, everything. I feel this way. I ate this. I feel that way. I don't feel good today. Right. Take it to mm-hmm. your physician. You can go mm-hmm. to see your physician every other day at the end of the day, but they need to know that you're serious about your health and you're serious about this baby and that you mean business. The same way how you're professional at work, It's the same way when you have a baby. Because remember, you're going to their job. So they're going to treat you how they want to treat you. If you come in there and you need business and you're serious about having a healthy baby and having a healthy delivery, they're either going to support it or they're going to find you a different position. At the end of the day, you want to make sure that you are healthy in the mind, in the body, and in soul. That's the most important thing. And so also find a physician or an obstetrician that you feel the most comfortable with or a midwife. It is okay to have a baby at home. I mm-hmm. actually would have preferred that. What I what I know now, I would have preferred to have my son at home as opposed to having him at 26 weeks, not knowing any better. Mm. So what I know now, and have, and he's very healthy, he's fine. But what I know now, I would have done things differently. And I had the support, but there was other things that I lacked. So. If you want to be able to have have the have the delivery not perfect but at least close to what you'd like, you just have to do your research. That's the most important thing. Do your research and know that this is your experience. So you want to cherish your experience in the most positive and protective way.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for that. And quickly, Rihanna, please tell our gyms and gents how they can support you, um, where they can follow you, how they can connect with you.
2: Sure. So I'm on. Okay. So I have two Instagram pages. So the first one is Brianna underscore the boss. And then the next one is pretty brown eyes. That's P-R-E-T-T-I-E, brown eyes, E-Y-E-Z underscore
0: 713. Thank you. And Shawnee, please, how can you- And then I'm on Facebook as- Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
2: Oh, sorry. And then I'm on Facebook as Brianna Shani Robinson. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well,
1: um, so Tiffany helped me out by putting in, I have a conference. It's a virtual conference that's coming up. It's called Mother Wit. It's the eighth annual um, Mother Wit conference. And we are dealing with issues around Black maternal health, birth equity, reproductive justice, telling our birth stories, restoring our um, balance. And the theme is birthing with gravity. Because right now they have us laying that back. They got us wired up um, in the motherland in South Africa, Ghana. They squat. They kneel. They do Mm -hmm. what they have to do to bring that baby forth. That's the literal of it. But birthing with gravity means politics, policy, power. Who has the power? Mm -hmm. It's using our voice, our agency. That restores gravity, too. So join us at the conferences on Friday the 28th, 7 to 9 is the opening ceremony the two-hour opening ceremony and then the next day is a full day from 9 30 to 4 30 eastern on zoom the other piece that i will share um for contact is i'm on ig instagram under shawnee the healer um you see my name um in the window so my first name shawnee the healer on instagram and on facebook it's the same way this name is in this uh the card here um on Streamyard. um shawnee benton gibson you can find me there and um, Tiff, if you can help me out, um, the you can put the contact information from me. You can email me at Soul Leadership Development Institute. Um, I also have a foundation called the ARIA Foundation, which was started in my daughter's name. So Tiff, if you can assist, and I mean Tiffany Mathias who invited me, she can drop that in the chat so the folks that are tuned yes, in on the information. And thank you once again um, for having me. Thank you, Gems. Thank you, Gents um the team uh, thank you for holding space in this way Brianna, thank you for being my co-partner and co-creator in this space today i appreciate you both
0: thank you both i am so full and so grateful um this has been a healing opportunity for me um you know losing my sister seven years ago has not gotten any easier um especially because the guilt of could I have done something, you know, could the medical team that that was there for her, could they have done more? And so this really helped to heal parts of me that were ignorant to how this works um, and why it happens the way it does. And so thank you both for serving with me tonight, for pouring. I pray that you're both restored and have an amazing um, rest of the evening. Tiffany is dropping those links. So for all of my gems and gents, please look through the comments look for tiffany matthias she's tiffany r matthias she's providing all the links all the contact information um we want to definitely support um whether you are a female a woman a mother a, you know if you have a womb or not we want you to support gotcha. so please gyms and gents make sure that you are catching those links before the show ends and then you can catch them on youtube in the comments as well as facebook um, as always, it is a pleasure to serve you and to give you a piece of me in this way. For anyone who has lost a loved one, a family member, due to medical negligence, due to um, you know their their complaints being ignored, you're not alone. There is a space for you. I'm holding space for you. Shawnee and Brianna are holding space for you, and we understand the journey. And so, continue to heal. Continue to put your health first, um, and continue to hustle and shine. Y'all have an amazing night. Good night. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Peace.
2: Good night, guys. Bye. Thank you.
0: Bye.